So open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 9. If you're looking for a Bible in the pew near you or in front of our pew, in the chair seat back in front of you, it'll be on uh, page 6 and 7, bottom of page 6, and uh, into 7 pretty quickly this morning. So we are... Um, uh, we're reading in Genesis chapter chapter 9 this morning, the second half, verses 18 through 29. And what we read this morning is, uh, is very much like a movie trailer for a sequel. Uh, now, every, every analogy breaks down, so I'm just going to say that right out of the gates. But uh, it, it, it's like a trailer showing what's about to come in the, in the sequel. I know they don't do those on movies, but if it's a show, what's coming next season, right? They want to hook you before they take their uh, nine-week break or whatever it is. They want to get you hooked for what is coming up. And what they show you in that trailer are flashes of the scenes that uh, will be a part of the the next season. Uh, Often, because spoilers are not good for business, they, at some, at times, I think, just try to confuse you a little bit, right? They show you parts, and you can kind of take those little snapshots and kind of formulate what you think might happen, and it it creates a little... uh, entertainment gossip for people who want to talk about that a whole bunch or whatever and all that sort of thing. So, so, so what we read this morning is a little bit like that. It, it's foreshadowing what is coming. It's pretty direct foreshadowing, uh, but it is foreshadowing in that we see a direct statement that will impact the future of mankind. But we don't have all the details. We don't have all the nitty gritty. And so we don't get all of that this morning, but it is enough uh, to do two things. As we're reading Genesis, it points us forward with a very clear direction as you see events begin to unfold. And you might even ask yourself questions along the way like, well, why did this happen to this family or, or why did this occur in this way? Those things in many cases can be traced right back to this oracle that we'll see, or this word from the Lord that we'll see that describes what's happening. Or if you're reading much further in the Old Testament and even the New Testament, you'll see hints of what has resulted. I guess by hints, I mean things splattered all throughout the Bible that point back to what happens here. of the story that God is unfolding for his people and in this world. Now, the difference between a trailer and Genesis, of course, is that, uh, like I said, sometimes trailers are, are intended to be somewhat confusing. Here, Moses, with the help of the Lord, intends to be incredibly clear. And I think he is this morning. And so we'll look on that. Genesis is the truly historical account of beginnings. That's what, that's what the word means, beginnings. Uh, and, and we see the beginning of the universe, the world, mankind, animals, all of creation. We've seen the fall so far, Adam and Eve's sin, and the resultant rebellion that flowed from it and culminated with the Lord's determination in chapter 5 to say, I am grieved that I have made man on the earth because I have seen that the thoughts, every intention of the thoughts of man, intention, 
We've repeated that. It's a key word. Every intention of the thoughts of man is only evil continually, only evil all the time. And I will blot man that I've made from this earth. Could you imagine building a house and getting, oh, seven-eighths of the way finished with it and, and looking at it and saying, you know, there's something with the foundation that's wrong here. We got to start over. Bring in the dozer. Let's take it all down. It would seem ridiculous. The Lord does that. The Lord does that and makes some significant changes. He, he introduces sort of a, a, a new code, a new way of living for people that he communicates from the outset. And although the wickedness of man was great in the earth and every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil, continually God brings a promise. After the flood which every detail that God predicted and, and, and communicated about the flood, I guess I shouldn't say he predicted, communicated, prophesied about the flood. Everything he said that was going to happen, happened. And that's important for us to remember because what God says will happen, will happen. And so as we're going through life today and you think, ah, I wonder if, if I obey the way the Lord tells me to live, if, if I'll really be okay. Yes. How do you know? Because what God says happens. Everything that God says comes true. And we are to base our entire lives around it. Every decision that we make can flow out of the sufficient word of God, which is, addresses every area of our lives. But as we'll see, I mentioned it last week, but as we'll see this morning, is everything that's, you know, uh, part of mankind's history in the Bible? No, God is, God is zeroing in on a story that he is telling. And our challenge is we often, and I'll put myself at the front of the line because that's where I belong. We see ourselves as the center of the story. And we need the kindness of God's grace to pull us back, lift our chin, and help us look to the heavens through the word of God to see that God is the center of the story. And we exist for him not he for us. And so we see the flood and we see the promise of the rainbow, God's promise never to wipe the earth again, never to blot out every animal and, 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 uh, and person on the earth through a flood, though one day the whole earth will be destroyed, just not through water. And so we need, to, we need to mark that down. We need to bank our lives on that reality. And so Moses, remember, is writing this narrative for the Israelites as they prepare to enter Canaan. Okay, Joshua is getting ready to lead his people into Canaan. So uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, what we call the Pentateuch, is not just a, a kind of like a random story. It's very intentional for uh, Joshua who is helping, uh, or I'm sorry, for Moses, who's helping Joshua remember who their God is and what he is capable of so that when they face giants in the land, for example, they'll remember that their God is able. And that when God says, I'm going to take you into this land and you're going to win, it's going to happen. Why? Because he's God. Because he said so. Because he can't. He's the sovereign one in all of the universe. But we'll see today as they're getting ready to go into Canaan, the first mention of the man by the name of Canaan uh, here in our passage this morning. So history is starting to repeat itself all over again. We see it right, right here. Uh, not very long after 
uh, Noah and his sons and his sons' wives and his wife come off of the ark. So join me, if you will, Genesis uh, 9, 18 through 29, as we read the word of the Lord together. Uh, the sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Uh, Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah. And from these three people, I'm sorry, from these people, the, the whole of the earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil and he planted a vineyard. Well, he drank from the vineyard and he, I'm sorry, he drank from, uh, of the wine and he became drunk and he lay uncovered or naked in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and he told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, they laid it on their shoulders and they walked backward and they covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward and they did not see their father's nakedness. Now when Noah awoke from his wine... And he knew what his youngest son had done to him. He said, cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants he shall be to his brothers. And he also said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. And may God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years old and he died. As we see this uh, beginning pattern of curse and blessing unfold here in Noah's life, the challenge for every one of us here today is to give our grandchildren the greatest possible gift by walking in the path of the Lord's blessing. We'll put that on the screen for you here. To give our grandchildren the greatest possible gift by walking in the path of the Lord's blessing. How? Parenthetically, by clinging to the Lord's life-giving word. In other words, in the Old Testament, the Bible wasn't bound like this, but they had it in a way which was everything that they needed at their point in time to understand exactly what God wanted from them. Now we have it in what we call a closed canon of 66 books of the Bible, and it is everything that we need to know what God has for us to both have salvation for him and how to order our lives and live in such a way that we strive to bring glory to God and with his help are able to do just that. Now, I, I, I mentioned our grandchildren. So don't think younger parents or even teens or kids that this is a sermon for grandparents only. It is a sermon and it applies to grandparents, but I will tell you, I'm speaking to those of you who are 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, because the decisions that you start to make now, 30-year-old parents, the decisions that you make now 20-year-old singles in the room, the decisions you make when you choose your spouse or as you're in college will affect your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. And the greatest gift that you can give your grandchildren, you ought to start planning for now by making decisions that help you walk in the path of the Lord's blessing and cling to his word. First thing we see right out of the gates is that there is one race. There's a human race. Now there's a lot happening culturally right now about race. 
And we can't even begin to get into it, except what we see from this text of Scripture is that everything flows. Everyone flows. We often joke about everybody coming from Adam and Eve. Well, that's true, but then everybody died, except for Noah and his family and his kids and his uh, in-laws. And so everyone, from a biblical standpoint, is flowing from these three families, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And so there's one race in this world, and the, 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 the common denominator for every person on the planet is that God created everyone to reflect his glory, to live in a way that honors him. But every one of us falls short. It doesn't matter what sort of sub-race as we've kind of formed things to be. We all sin. We all fail. We all go about our understanding of how to solve the world's problems or how to solve our community's problems or whatever the case might be through our own human ways. And brothers and sisters, as you engage culture, I would just encourage you to be a voice for the gospel of Jesus in loving people of every race. There's two slides that I want to show you here. We're told right at the outset, uh, as I mentioned, that the whole earth is dispersed or populated through these. So this is the family tree. Now, what you're going to notice is it's not the family tree of everyone. In fact, it's pretty limited, right? We see Adam and Eve there on the bottom. And then uh, as we zoom in a little bit, we're going to see uh, Noah right above. Now he's at the bottom uh, in that beige there. Uh, We see Noah there. And then we see Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So Shem, we've got in the white cloak. And then Ham is in the green, light green at the top. And then Japheth. Japheth is in the purple on the right-hand side. So these are the three men and their wives that populated the whole earth. But the Bible's going to zoom in on below, uh, below Ham, well, it's above Ham, but I mean, as his generations continue on, we're going to see Abram, who's there in the, the, the red, or we're going to just stop trying too hard with the colors, but in the red, and then Abraham, and then Isaac on the left side in that dark green, and then not pictured, is Jacob. And in the same way that we hear the phrase, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, we're going to begin to see the phrase, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In fact, when people refer to the Lord, they're going to refer to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that is where Moses is taking us quite quickly in this uh, trek through history. We'll see more of these details. We're going to zoom in on on chapter 10 next week. And uh, you may peek ahead and say, that's a lot of names. What's that sermon going to look like? And I I guess we'll find out next week around 1030. So, (laughs) but if you turn the page and you go to chapter 11, what you're going to see is Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. What happens then? We all put our heads together. Now now listen, now listen, as people around this world and as people on uh, talking heads, and I'm telling you talking heads on every side right here, put their heads together to try to figure out how to solve these problems. Here we see the first hint of how it's going to go. One people one language. 
And they came from everywhere to put their heads together. For what? Let us build a tower to the heavens and make a name for ourselves. Brothers and sisters, mark it down every time. Every time we try to humanistically figure out how this is going to work, how to solve the problems of the world, someone ends up leading other people to try to make a name for themselves. And the best way, in fact, the only way that you can bless your great grandchildren, your grandchildren, your children, is to seek to make a name for Jesus. In fact, after people grieve at your funeral, maybe a couple decades, maybe a couple years, maybe maybe a generation, maybe, I mean, like if you've rocked the world, maybe another generation or a third, and then nobody knows your name. There's not going to be a shrine in cheers where you can go, everyone remembers your name. No, your name will be gone and your legacy continues on as you seek to make a name for Jesus. Or don't, don't think it stops or it continues on as you've sought to lead your family away from the path of blessing to the path of natural curses, natural consequences for deciding to walk away from the Lord. So if you're eight, whatever you can pick up from me today, if you're 15, you can pick this up. 25, 30, 40, 60, or 80, your time brother and sister, is not finished. Go to your grave, loving your family in the ways of the Lord. Second point is that there's blessing and there's cursing for clinging to God's life-giving word. There's blessing. And there's cursing for ignoring it or for going the opposite way. Now, these are two motifs that we see or two patterns that we see, blessing and cursing. We see this repeatedly in the word of God, but here they're seen uh, in this very specific, very concise oracle or word, uh, word from God through, um, through Noah and Moses as he writes it, right? An oracle is very kind of similar to prophecy. It's slightly different and we're not going to get in the weeds on it too much. Think of a prophecy as God giving a word to an individual to communicate to a group of people to persuade them to obey and follow the Lord. An oracle is a pretty brief, usually sometimes they're longer, a pretty brief statement that says, this is what it is. That's basically what we get to see here in Genesis 9 today. And so we see right out of the gates here in this oracle that Noah, Noah's a man of the soil and he plants a vineyard. And he drank of the whole, I'm sorry, and he drank of the wine and he became drunk and he lay uncovered in his tent. Noah drank of the wine and he got drunk. Now, now there's no... Uh, there's no prohibition for drinking of any alcohol, particularly here or in other places in the Bible. What is made explicitly clear 
is the very quick negative effects. We get the idea that, 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 that Noah drank of it. He took it all in, if you will. And he, he got drunk and in his getting drunk, ended up laying naked and falling asleep in his tent. It shows the foolishness of drunkenness. It shows the, the foolishness that, as the Proverbs say in Proverbs 20, verse 1, and 23, and, and other Proverbs, but this is sort of a, a sum, summation or bring these passages together. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink, a brawler. Whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Do you hear that? You see, if we're going to give the greatest gift that we can to our grandchildren, we need to hear the word of God when he says, it's not wise. It's not wise. Are there purposes? Are there medicinal purposes for it? Sure. At time, in the right amounts, in the right way. Sure. But the idea that we're communicated here is if you seek it, gaze at it, as we'll see here in a minute, you're, you're unwise. The opposite of that is, or not the opposite, but another way of saying that is foolish. And, and that's a biblical term to communicate those who, who hear and see God's word and they choose another direction. And curses come from that. Not curses that, 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 uh, that mean you're doomed for life. No, but curses that say, this isn't the way that I want you to walk. This isn't what I want for you that's not best for you. And, and the way we behave when we drink of it, when we drink especially too much of it, which I'm going to say is, is, is much less than we want to tell ourselves. Very quickly, alcohol starts to depress our sensibilities. It suppresses our wisdom. It suppresses our everything. But let me continue. Who has a woe? Who has a sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long at the wine and those who go in search of mixed wine. In other words, you drink some and, and, and you come to the point where your eyes are reddened. You might just consider it a hangover. But then your physical need is not met any longer, but what by, once was, what, by what once a, was a simple drink. Now we're looking for mixed wine. Now we're looking for stronger drink. And the Lord warns us about it in Genesis of all places. Do you remember I told you when we started this series that some of the main themes that we see throughout the entire Bible start here in Genesis. And then they're expounded upon more and more as we read more of the Bible. Those who linger long at wine, those who go in search of mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it's red. When that wine is in the bottle or in the glass and you just, there's something about you that longs for it. There's something in you, it's called idolatry, that says, I need that. I need that to be happy. I need that to, 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 to depress or to push down or to squelch. A pain. Friend, the pain is real, but so is God. And God says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. 
God's spirit, you mark it down, friends, God's spirit through God's word in the context of the body of Christ, the imperfect body of Christ, will gladden your heart in time as you trust him and as you follow him. So who has redness of, of, of eyes? Those who linger long at wine, who go in search of mixed wine, don't look at the wine when it's red, when it sparkles. In other words, you're tempted, turn away, run away, go the other way. There's always a way out and God is faithful to help you through it. When it swirls around smoothly at the last, it bites like a serpent. Stings like a viper. Oh, it looks good. I feel like I need it. But you drink it. And you drink it to excess. Bam, then comes the sting. Don't say you weren't warned. Don't say God didn't graciously give you the warning that curses will come. The natural consequences will come. When you drink beyond what God thinks is appropriate. Well, I've gotten a pretty high tolerance, so I can drink this much and not get drunk. How about we seek to build a tolerance, an ability to grow and learn and take in more and more and more of the Holy Spirit and see what he can do in our lives. I can't even get through these Proverbs. (laughs) At last it bites like a serpent and it stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. You know, the, the happy drunk, the angry drunk, the giddy drunk, When God's people go after alcohol as a solution to their problems, we show our lack of faith. And I don't mean that as like a slap across the face because I do it with food sometimes. So like, I'm I'm just, this is, I'm not trying to bash any people. I love to eat. I know, shocker. But it's not just about eating too much. It's about when I'm discouraged or I'm frustrated rather than going to prayer and seeking the Lord through prayer, man, there are all kinds of comfort foods I can find. All kinds of comfort food I can find. Or good food, healthy food even, eaten in wrong proportion. And about eight weeks ago, nine weeks ago, God gave me a warning for my health. I had a a consequence, a curse, if you will, although they're not entirely synonymous. And so, with the help of those who love me and my family, and I've been doing all right. That's all I'm going to say. All right. I'm not going to get too haughty here. It's only nine weeks, friends. You need my help And I need your help to go the distance.
Can we be a church that will come alongside people in their weaknesses, in their difficulty, without unbiblical judgment and help people go the distance? Absolutely we can. I see heads nodding all over the place. That means those of you who are afraid to let it out, let the cat out of the bag, I want to ask you to trust your sovereign Lord who has put put a, a, a band of people around you who will love you. And that means love you at times to tell you what you don't want to hear. Well, I can't stop it. Well, the Bible says you can. I'm going, I'm going into this a little bit too deeply, but I just want to encourage you. Matthew, stand up for just a minute, if you will. Matthew, he didn't know this was coming. So uh, Matthew, and oh, and, Pat, and Brian Edwards, stand up for me too. Just you guys stand up for, I know you don't like it, but I just want to tell you, we, I said a second, he took it as a second. We have a ministry on Wednesday night called Next Steps. And our goal is, and you haven't heard much about it because it's kind of in its pilot phase right now. We're doing a, a 15 months of it before we really publicize it strongly. Um, so we can kind of work out the kinks. But that doesn't mean that if you are struggling right now, you can't walk in there any Wednesday night at 6 o'clock p.m. upstairs in the larger classroom and say, hey, is there anybody here that can help me? You better believe there is. And if you're not available, then come find any of the elders or deacons and we'll get you connected. Because we are here to be a people who support, encourage, and help one another. But it does not mean we're going to pat your hand and tell you how, well, I'm going to stop there because I'm going to say something unintentionally, disrespectfully. And I don't want to do that. Because some of you are dealing with some really significant pains in life. Like Shem's, or Ham's sons are going to, because the Lord curses them. So let's continue moving on here. Noah lay uncovered in his tent. And so, you know, he's naked and commentators make a lot of really good um, uh, estimations of, of more detail of what's going on here. And I'd just like us to really stick with what the text tells us this morning. Noah drank, he got drunk. It's clear that God wasn't pleased with it. And he was naked in his tent. Ham walks in. Ham walks in, sees him. And, and this is difficult for us to understand in our Western culture. We don't have the same, and don't get me wrong here, we, we love our families and, and we honor our families, but we do not have the same honor culture that they did in the East, and especially back then. And so there was a tremendous way that, that children and grandchildren were to honor those older than they were. And, and Ham goes in and he sees him and he goes out and the text tells us that he goes out and, and, and he saw the nakedness of his father, fathers and he, and he told his brothers outside. Literally, he told with delight what he saw in the tent. He went out and he started mocking his dad for being drunk and naked in the tent. And there's a curse for it. That's our third point this morning. There's a curse that Noah gives on Canaan. But I want to highlight a, a significant part of the text here, and that is the blessing of awkward obedience. Because I'm going to just tell you right out of the gates, obedience is not always natural. Obedience is sometimes embarrassing. Imbe obedience is sometimes extremely difficult. 
Obedience requires planning. Obedience requires honor for the Lord above all else. Obedience means putting to death the desires of our flesh. Obedience means everything that that God in his word tells us for how to walk by faith. And we are able by the power of God. That's the blessing. And when you make that decision, friends, you set up your spouse, your children if the Lord's given them to you, and their children for a better opportunity to walk in the blessing of the Lord. And do not think that begins when you have grandchildren or when you have children. It begins today. Noah gives a curse on Canaan here, and it's kind of tough to understand what's happening here. So Ham's the one that made the sin. He walked in, sees his dad naked, goes out and kind of mocks him to his brothers. Well, in the same way that Noah's son mocked him, Noah curses Ham's son, who is Canaan. And I'm going to tell you, when you see the word Canaan nearly a hundred times in the Old Testament going here on out, and you see uh, Shem and, and Japheth about, I don't know, between 15 and 20, 25 times, but Canaan a lot of times, and he is at the front of all of the Ergozites and the Jebusites and all the Zites that we're going to see next week. Those are the people who are not God's people, and the Lord's pointing them out, and we see it right here. So this punishment inflicted on Canaan was appropriate because he reaped exactly what he sowed as he dishonored his father. He sinned as a son. He was punished as a son. Exodus tells us, this is before the Ten Commandments, as as Moses is writing this, the sins of the fathers are visited on the children even to the third and fourth generations. Brothers and sisters, the biblical principle of blessing and cursing is real and it is very significant. You in this room may be living as a second or third or fourth generation of an alcoholic parent. And just the topic brings such emotion, pain to your mind, your heart, fear. You may be the second or third or fourth in the line of one who was angry. Angry in ungodly ways and took out their anger in any number of ungodly ways. Friend, You can break the chain. The fact that the curse has fallen to you does not mean that you are with God's help in the body of Christ through God's perfect word able to break the chain. You are. And it can begin today. So then 
Ham goes out and, and, and he tells his brothers. And so then we have this, what, what I'm calling the blessing of awkward obedience, but there's this really awkward situation now. Oh, dad's naked. Uh, sorry, parents for your lunch conversation today, by the way, uh, dad's naked. Uh, Ham's already seen him, but he didn't do anything about it. Well, now we've got to do something about it in a way that's honoring to him. So what do they do? Well, they take a cloak and they either walk in sort of like with their heads backward. If, if Noah's over here, they kind of kind of do like this and then lay the cloak over him and then kind of like back their way out. Or, or maybe they took the cloak and it says that their face was backward. So they're essentially communicating they weren't looking at him. They weren't looking to see his nakedness. And so they've got this cloak and, and maybe they're, they're holding it like this and they're backing up. Maybe they're just looking down and be like, let me know when you see a toe. Okay. All right. Okay. There we go. And then they lay this down. What I'm communicating is that it took significant effort for their, them to honor their father in the midst of his depravity. Now this is Noah. Every time we've heard Noah, we've heard he was a righteous man. He did everything the Lord told him to do, but even righteous Noah, who's commended in Hebrews, who's commended in the rest of the Bible, cannot live perfectly. Why? Because Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it has affected every human sense. And it will until the end of the ages. So here's this oracle I've mentioned. Cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants he shall be to his brothers. And then he also said... Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. Let Canaan be his servants. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let, let Canaan be his servant. Now, God has already blessed all of these sons by, at, the, at the beginning of nine as they came out of the ark and be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And so they were going to do that. So they are going to be blessed in the sense of their familial lineage. But here we see the Lord, essentially, we see these three, but the focus is going to be on Shem. And eventually even Japheth kind of falls underneath him. And we see Shem, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Through whose line comes David and then Jesus. Canaan. Everybody that comes from Canaan, God's enemies. God's enemies. And at times, the ones God uses to discipline his own children. You can give your grandchildren the greatest gift by walking in the path of the Lord's blessing as we find it in the word by clinging to his life-giving word. Last point quickly is that Noah died. Well, Pastor Matt, why would you even worth why would you, why would you even mention that? Well, because God gave a promise to Adam before Eve was on the scene. 
God gives a promise to Adam and he says, plants him in the garden. And he says, if you eat of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, you'll die. What happened? They ate and they died. You might remember the sermon where we sort of drew out the reality at the end of every few verses. And he died. 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 Well, after the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All of the days of Noah were 950 years. You can say it with me. And he died. Now it's much shorter. And Matthew Evan McGee, married to Sherilyn Rose McGee. What a pretty name. And they had two sons, Braden Scott McGee and Skylar Evan McGee. And Matthew lived to be, oh, I don't know, 50? Sorry, I'm not trying to be sad or morbid. I just turned 48. 60? 75? 82? Where's our dear sweet Sylvia? Hello, sweet sister. And Sylvia Schoonover lived to be however many more wonderful years God gives her. And she died. And Matthew died. Except we die to life. We put off this mortal body and we go to glory. Your children, your, your, your grandchildren, your, your great-grandchildren may have that opportunity if you, by God's merciful grace, walk in the path of blessing. They, they, they might not remember your name. In fact, for my birthday last year, or Christmas, I think, I got a book about this thick of my dad's lineage. Somebody put it all together. And we just found like the maybe five pages out of, I'm not kidding, it's about 1,100 pages that affected our whole family line, like four or five pages. We were like up two generations. We're like, who's this? Who's this? Who's this? And then the rest, boring. When you're in the category of, who's this? Or, boring, I'm tired of, tired of reading names. Will the names your great-grandchildren look to be seen as those who are walking in the path of blessing? And say, thank you, God, for our ancestors that we don't even know who followed you. Our Lord, God, and Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for the beautiful gift of life that you've given us, for the wonderful joy of being able to walk in such a way that we can follow you, that we can honor you, that we can seek your name. We know we're going to do it imperfectly. Oh, how quickly we throw in the towel when we're embarrassed because we failed. 
Oh, how quickly we throw in the towel when our pride gets hurt. Oh, how quickly we throw in the towel when it becomes hard or when we're confronted with the things that we would give the blessing that should go to our great-great-grandchildren for temporary pleasure. God, will you do with each one in this room? Each heart wrestles with varying struggles. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and, and, and very accurately apply the medicine of your word to each heart here who needs a particular application, a particular courage, a particular drive, a particular humility because they want to honor you and set up their generations for blessing. May this happen all over this room today by your grace. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.